Hello and welcome back to JLXP. It has been two weeks, which I apologize for. But again, I have Emily. Last one was on week one. Really quick, I do want to give a reason for why this podcast has decreased so much in frequency. Uh, the podcast is definitely a passion project for me. And recently, if you followed Kubo's Instagram, we got a new puppy. And that's taking up like literally all of my disposable time outside of direct LCS work. But this week, we saved enough energy, got enough done that we can do another JLXP podcast three weeks into the LCS season. Six games played. We got a super week coming up next week, which will be the end of our first round robin. And we got a lot to talk about. So Emily, how, how are you doing? I'm good. So tired. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, I'm still not used to how late the days end now. Right. So we are currently recording this 9.01 Pacific time and FlyQuest is still undefeated. Mm-hmm. They also have played the majority of the gauntlet teams already. So they've played every other team that's sitting in the top of the standings. They're going to have Immortals, TSM, and CLG left for the rest of their round robin. What has impressed you the most about them winning every game? I think, uh, so I was watching um, for FlyQuest 100 Thieves today. If 100 Thieves had won, I was actually watching Closer's perspective, and I would have done a breakdown with Closer. Mark was following Spica. um, And the thing that really impressed me specifically about their early game, actually, is how well as a team they seem to communicate everything with like a very specific intent. Like I thought Spika did such a good job actually of tracking closer mm-hmm. um, to the point where like a lot of the questions were going to be like, okay, because of Spika's pathing here, like how did you recover from this? And like going topside to gank after tenacity got the solo kill was really good. Like all of that kind of stuff. Um, so I think the it, it is funny because I feel like people have been really teasing Spika about like, oh, now you're on like tank duty or just mm-hmm. doing everything for Prince, blah, blah, blah. But like, I actually really don't see this team that way at all. They seem um, surprisingly well-coordinated when it comes to what they're trying to do in terms of like setups and stuff. I'm not saying they don't have points of miscommunication. I think sometimes obviously like, I'll, I'll call it my boy because I love him and I love this about him, but Vikla will go in, man. Uh-huh. And sometimes he, he will just, he'll just go for it. And I, I don't know if the rest of the team is going to follow up on it or not. Um, so like, I, I think that you still see moments like that, right? Uh, not just with Vikla, but he's kind of the easiest to point out. And, uh, I love him. So hopefully people know this is coming from a place of like, having watched him for for a while yeah um but i i mean if they if they end up shoring those things up they're even an even better team and all of this because we started when we started talking about this in week one we're like okay we're not really sure when ayla is going to come in so Mm -hmm. now we're not we're not even sure how good they'll be once he gets here right because that's technically their starting roster but now you're looking at it and you're like oh man what happens now when they are doing this well with yeah. winsome because like for example today kaisa nautilus is not something i would say is like a meta lane right now but he had a really good nautilus game so mm-hmm. um 
Yeah, I it's surprising and it also puts them in like a really interesting position, I think. Yeah, I completely agree because I'm expecting them to actually start 9 and 0. It would be very surprising if it's anything worse than 7 and 2, so they're going to be first place in the first round robin. Mm-hmm. And if you're halfway through a split, and let's say Ayla would arrive sometime in week 6 or 7, it does become like really unfortunate for him that he's had these visa issues because they've done so well in his absence. Like maybe they would have done just as well with him being here, but mm-hmm. that's actually going to be a question they have to answer. And some of the stats that I was looking at for this team, their goal differential at 15 minutes is plus 481, which is actually really low for an undefeated team through six games. Mm-hmm. But that's with saying they have played all the other top teams. So I still think they have a lot of early game explosiveness left. Your point on Vikla going in, three Silas, one Azir, one Aurelia, one Victor. So literally only one champion that can't just fly in. I think that's a trend that should definitely continue. Spika, two Amumu, two Maokai, one Sejuani, one Wukong. But that's not to fault him. That's literally the meta jungler is safe for Amumu. And Amumu has worked very well for them. So they are just you're not going to say anything, but they're a very solid team when they're undefeated, but they are playing in a very solid yet still explosive way because Vikla gives them the wild card that they need. Impact gives them really good wave management and really good flank angles in which to engage team fights because I think that's what he's best at. And Prince is playing like the best 80 carry in the league. So that's... If they can keep this up, they're definitely the favorites to win the LCS for me. Uh, but one one question, like you always have, and this is a this is a point that we touched on in the last episode of Korean imports that come into the LCS, or even just like Hunian Rainover were technically Korean imports that imported from Europe back from 2015 to 2016. But like how? long can you be this much better than the rest of the region without reverting to the mean and i think that's one of the challenges they're literally already going to be running into after three weeks and also with everyone saying that they're perfect (laughs) in the media i mean i think you kind of heard it from Spika too right who's had some experience with this uh is he was like, you know, when you are at the top for that long Mm because mark was teasing him about like oh you know, are you going to, are we seeing the 18-0 yeah. finally in the LCS? And he's like, he, and he's very serious. He's like, no, I, I'm serious. Like, we want to go for it. Like, we, which I think is awesome. Yeah. But he even said prior to, to saying that and kind of like committing this as a goal for the team, said that he's like, it's really hard. Like, you do get complacent. You do get kind of like clowny and you want to start trying stuff out. And, you know, like, uh, that does happen. Um for Prince specifically, I will say the thing that struck me is how thoughtful he seems to be about mm. the game itself. Um, and I wasn't sure because uh, obviously my experience with him was just watching gameplay and then watching um, interviews with, with Ashley and then on stage interviews and stuff like that for him as a personality. Uh, and first of all, he's great personality, yeah. great interview. Um but then additionally, I think the thing that struck me the most about him that I wasn't sure 
And I'm not going to say I expected it or didn't expect it because my expectation was just kind of neutral in terms of where he'd be on this. But he does seem to be someone who, like, thinks a lot about the game itself. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I find that interesting specifically when an AD carry is like that uh, mm. because especially watching Prince last year, one of, again, and we've kind of talked about this on broadcast, which is like one of the criticisms that was levied at him was like, oh, he gets too many resources. So like right. all you have to do is point him in a direction. And like, I do think even with today's Kaisa game, right, you did see him thinking about like where he wants to come in for a team fight, right? Like when he is collapsing, when he actually is deciding to just go in and like try to nuke someone. Um, so I hope we continue seeing that from him because that kind of thoughtfulness is always really interesting for me to watch. And I, I love when players are just thoughtful about the game in general. Yeah, I completely agree. And one other nugget that I don't think is that dangerous of a leak when we asked Spica about 18-0, he did say that they are going for it, but they're still losing a reasonable amount of scrims. So it's not like they are a 95% scrim win rate blow over everyone, um, which in some ways, I mean, in most ways reduces the chances of an 18-0, but it does still give the team something tangible to work on each week if they're losing games and finding ways to improve. Okay, next team that I think we should talk about is 100 Thieves because they are better than I expected them to be at the start of the year but also better in ways that I didn't expect. Like, Doublelift, I think, is better sooner than I thought he would be, and Tenacity is better sooner than I thought he would be. Closer, Bjergsen, Busio are about how I expected, so it's it's like Tenacity and Doublelift are the ones that are overperforming my expectations. How about you? A little bit higher... Did I cut out? Yeah, you cut out just for a second. It's going to be one long podcast clip, so apologies for that if you just want to start over. So for Doublelift, I think I might have been a bit higher on him than you maybe. It was hmm. more about like his competition at the top was going to be tough with mm -hmm. FBI coming into an already really well-formed EG core, Prince coming in, who I knew was very, very talented, and then Berserker, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you already have that kind of, like, core at the top. And I think with Tenacity, Tenacity has surprised me because you and I talked a lot about Tenacity coming in, and I think we had the same concern in that we were worried what he would do if this shifted into... And I'm not saying this is a bad thing, by the way, but if this shifted into a very traditional looking double if team, right? Mm. Where like he is getting the majority of the resources. And in fairness, right now, it's a bot lane centric meta. Like it's all about bot 2v2s and it's all about how much your AD carry is putting out in team fights, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's a great meta for double if to kind of slide back in in general. And his team is going to be there supporting him naturally because that's the meta currently right now. But Tenacity has actually really surprised me. Did you know that he has the most solo kills of any player in the LCS right now at eight? Um, Did he get like four but, with the failed Penta dive? Because he because he had two possibly. he had two legit ones against Impact. He had yeah. 
so he got solo killed by Fudge on the first day, but then he definitely got a solo yeah. kill like later that week. So I feel like that's three or four in lane. And I wonder if the other four happened during the dive. But even if that didn't happen, that's a lot. Eight is so many through six games. Yeah. He, I mean, I think with North American top laner specifically, I've always been super critical of a lot of tops coming into the LCS and making that transition and and suddenly playing a lot more scared um, and not necessarily going for counter matchups and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And we have not seen that of Tenacity, and I've actually loved him for that. Yeah. Um, even in today, like, obviously, no, he didn't get the insane, the shy Fiora angle, but, like, he almost did, he right? Almost like, did. there were... There were games, like, again, I was watching in Spectator because I was, like, jotting a bunch of notes down. It got to the point where, like, I had all of my early game notes, and then I'm like, oh, man, Mark's going to be doing the Vajrayu, so, like, I'll just sit here and chill and, like, watch. And then the tenacity play happened, I'm like, well, back that up. Like, we have to ask closer about that if they manage to come back after getting this Baron. So, um, it was really cool, even though they didn't win to see how comfortable Tenacity seems to be with this team. Like, I think it bodes really well for them in the future. Yeah. One question we had at the end of the day, which I kind of want to revisit, was of the four and two teams, 100 Thieves, Cloud9, and EG, who was actually better? Who was the second place team? And I'm I'm looking at this now. So in week four, next week, to finish the first round robin, EG is still yet to play 100, TL, and Immortals. C9 is yet to play... Dignitas Immortals TL and 100 Thieves is playing EG, CLG, and Golden Guardians. So, in a sense, 100 Thieves has one of the easier schedules, and I'd say EG maybe has a harder one, but that's because I still rate TL decently, even though you never know which TL is going to show up. Uh, my answer at the time was EG because I feel like their two losses were the most avoidable of the losses. But with that, yeah, and part of that is just the game that I got to cast today, EG versus Cloud9. They did look pretty good. They won in a way that I don't think last year's EG would have won in. Like JoJo actually just ran around the map, not going for fights, just achieving gold. And it was an incredibly kind of boring low kill game, but it was effective. I think it's definitely between those two teams. I gave the edge to EG uh, because of their macro play and because of uh, the the stuff that you pointed out already mm. where, like, you know, first of all, the CLG game, they're definitely going to want to get that one back. Um, obviously, part of it was just that the draft, they got outscaled in draft. Um, the other part was, like, if they'd been able to snowball their lead harder they should have been able to close it out so you can decide which side of that kind of pendulum swing you sit on um but i i do think eg is like weirdly less hyped right now uh just because we're looking at under thieves roster Mm. coming together because we're looking at flyquest being so dominant right now on stage and I think you shouldn't count EG out because, again, I do think they can be just very, very thoughtful with their play. And when they are 
making mistakes, I agree with you that a lot of them are very fixable. Some of them are just actually just fixable in draft. Mm-hmm. So yep. I, I, I know I said this at the end of day today, but I'll reiterate. It reminds me a lot of how we kind of talked about EG last year, but they looked much, in the, in fairness, they looked much shakier then yeah. than they do now. Um, but we'd be like, yeah, man, this team, like if they can only just get their draft like together and, you know, not make this as hard on themselves, uh, they could be good. I don't think we're at that level yet, but it's just funny to see the conversations kind of following them into this year, even with uh, someday an FBI on the team now. Yeah, they were the classic. They're struggling on stage, but they're a good scrim team, we promise, back in 2022. And like that was one time where our promise came true because they won the (laughs) LCS split in spring. One team that I think is legitimately getting slept on and i can already see the youtube comment from the c9 fans is the defending champions c9 who are still at four and two are still the defending champions still have four of the five defending champions but i think of those three teams at the moment is the least exciting what do you what do you think c9 is weirdly like tough to rate for me because they have obvious talent they have players that can win, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they only have a different mid laner. Uh, and while I don't think uh, Diplex is like lit the world on fire, I also yeah. don't think he's like the reason why they've lost the games they lost, right? So mm-hmm. um, it's it's weird because this C nine team, I can easily see just having like an insane run at the end of the the split again into into playoffs and kind of ramping up um it's it's really hard for me to rate them because i feel like when i look at eg and when i look at 100 thieves and their losses there's a little bit more consistency to their losses where with C9, it, it comes down to, like, a few plays that could have gone a little differently, and then the game snowballs away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think today was probably the the most kind of solid loss that they've had, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Because the FlyQuest one, it was the 2v2 skirmish in mid that they yeah. lost, and then a fight right before 20 minutes, and then Baron spawns, and poof, they're down 7k gold. Yeah, and that, and that was, that kind of ballooned really quickly this eg game it just kind of felt like eg from the moment that they stepped in uh even though like for example i don't think he got anything super tangible out of his ganks inspired was like okay i'm going bot i'm looking bot do you need me here i'm going top and he actually Mm -hmm. lost i i know you guys pointed out on cast he lost very little for this right but he was still covering his lanes constantly paying attention to like what was going on and then in the meantime, they just have this tryst that eventually you can just point her at a turret and she will take it down very, very quickly. Um, and so this is the that was the first loss where C9 looked like continuously outsmarted by their mm. opponents. So I think C9 obviously still have, like, it, that sounds stupid to say, that they still have massive potential to like, win the split. But like they obviously do, right? Because again, this is the first... Today was the first loss where 
and and that actually even includes the the fly quest one mm. this today was the first loss where it seemed like a almost like a macro loss if yeah that makes sense. and maybe like more demoralizing i i was just trying to find some overall trends and this is again only six games in but when you think about the way c9 won the summer split in 2022 uh, or even just the way they looked with Jensen, I always found it was funny. Like when he first came back to the team, Blabber and Jensen would try and do all this like cool Blabber Jensen stuff. So they do like, oh, let's do like Yone. Let's do these. Uh, yeah. Did they even do Yasuo Gragas? I don't remember, but it just it just felt like they were really trying to do this 2v2 mid thing. And then when they settled, it was Azir, Victor, Oriana. And mm-hmm. Blabber would help out Fudge because Fudge would have counterpick and occasionally he'd help Berserker be a hyper carry. That was the best version of C9. And I look at what Diplex is doing now and he's played two Akali, one Silas, one Ari, one Galio, one Jace. Those are all relatively high interaction mid jungles. So it doesn't necessarily play into what they have done best with. And even though both of us from the eye test feel like Diplex is doing okay. When I pull up uh, the stats from Oracle's Elixir just now, he is fifth amongst mid laners and kills, but he is last place in gold at 10, last place in XP difference at 10, and last place in CSD at 10, and sixth place in damage percentage. So he's still pulling out in some team fights. Uh, this is a tacky joke, but it came to mind because I've been trying to shoehorn in Diplix and sneaky jokes. Diplix and lane could become a thing, right? I might end up pulling into a broadcast at some point, but I don't know. I'm curious. We know their Academy mid laner is super, super good. I do wonder the pressure that Diplex is under. And if C9 loses more, if that's going to be something they look at. So it's, it's interesting to, uh, to track. I think I want to see a lot more. I would honestly, personally give him the entire spring split, almost no matter what happens because you've invested this much into him already. But it is a point where I think fans can rightfully look and point some fingers at the moment. I think the thing with the big thing with Diplex in coming over, like uh, I said this on broadcast, but I talked to Laura about it too, where she was like, his is the story of like, he was so hyped uh, for debut and that hype has kind of never panned out. And it's mm. not like, oh my gosh, he's been terrible. It's like, obviously not. But um, I keep going, I keep, partnering like she was like i hope in coming to na he can kind of unlock this this form that we kind of all expected him to have and in looking at jack's initial announcement video and like the team talking about him it was kind of like we think he has something and we think we are like systems memes aside the actual system that can help bring this out of him so I will say in that regard, if if that is the goal, obviously we have not seen that yet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't want to talk about every team today. I'm going to give a pause on TL discussion. They're okay. an insanely aggressive team. I love They're them. They're three and three. They're fun to watch. I want to leave it at that for now. 
before I never know what they're gonna do. It's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> before we start, uh, before we started, I asked you like which of the bottom teams are you most interested in talking about, and you said TSM. So I wanted to give you the floor to to discuss what you've seen from TSM so far. Yeah. So TSM, uh, obviously, I think the big thing with them is their early game, because I see so many kind of good things from TSM in mid to late and like flashes of like, oh, they had, you know, this really good team fight. I do think with Boogie and Maple kind of driving everything. Um, and then the the stuff that Solo will play, obviously like the the Scion that he pulled out that we saw Impact pull out that we've seen a few times uh, in, in LCK. Um, I think there's some really interesting things that this team can do if they could only shore up their early game. Because, mm. for example, today's composition, it's like, you give Boogie Elise. And this is a champion he's so comfortable on, right? Like, he can actually control an entire game on this champion. I've seen him do it. Not here, but I've seen him do it. And that top lane dive is, like, the quintessential, like, every everything that could go wrong with that... <laughs> You know, like, and it's, that, that part is unlucky, but then, like, I keep thinking back to uh, their first game, and he was on the Elise, yep. and you can tell that he knows, like, what he needs to do, right? Like, it's like, okay, yeah. I need to snowball bot, I'm going to be here, and I know I talked about it, like, with timers in the first episode of this podcast, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to go over it again, but, like, there is something missing in terms of their early game communication, that if they could only shore that up, they would be like a legitimately very interesting team. Mm. And like, I want to see it because I know that with players like Boogie and Maple, there is something there, especially with that mid jungle. Um, that's really interesting to me, but unfortunately I definitely have not seen that out of their early game yet. And their early game is by far and away the thing that, is kind of really tripping them up. Yeah, Golden Guardians, FlyQuest, and Dig is their schedule next week. Dig has been atrocious so far, but if they get Ignar next week and they have two stage games before they play TSM, who knows if that's an easier hard game. Golden Guardians also on a two-game winning streak. So it's, it's actually a big differentiator of... If TSM loses all three, three and six, all this optimism is gone. But if they win two of three and they're sitting at five and four, that's incredibly respectable. And for me, I agree with you, the early game minus 1,940 gold difference at 15, which is second worst in the league for a three and three team. So there's positives and negatives to both of those things. The thing I like most about Boogie's Elise actually is he's had two bad early games on it. But two wins. Yeah, there's certain there's certain champions when players have incredible mastery over them, they are playing a different game when they're on that champion. Like other games, when they're on other champions, this is what I'd always put it. This was like with like Brox's Lee Sin, for instance, is like he's just playing pure League of Legends when he's on this champion. But if he's on a different champion, he's playing the champion and League of Legends. And I think Boogie even has a little bit of that from what I've seen. I'm sure he's got other picks that he's really good on, but at least to me is just like a standout where it just feels like he's different. Like one of his best picks. Yeah. I do want to touch quickly on CLG 
Uh, don't want to be too grim about it, but they had the hot 2-0 start. One of them being a very close game against EG. And when they walk into week three, they have TL, 100 Thieves, and FlyQuest. They do not want to go on a seven-game losing streak, right? Like. so it's so tough. It's I think it's such a big week for them because if you be it, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse, right? We praise them for keeping the same five players from last year, but if you keep the same five players and then you go on a seven game losing streak, you don't have that internal optimism of, oh yeah, we just need to get used to each other, et cetera, et cetera, and it I, it becomes I think a lot harder mentally for them to deal with. So I. I would like to see them have a bit of a bounce back because I actually did flip-flop after putting them low at the start of the year and seeing their first two, but the last two weeks have been a total disaster. How are you feeling about CLG? Rough, because I remember talking to Powell Fox at the end of week one and after that EG game, and his whole take from it was like, you know what? We Because I noted the difference in play style, and I know I brought this up, uh, last podcast as well like you know they they didn't have this kind of like oh my gosh we're gonna dive bot super early we're gonna rotate pal fox and contracts as as soon as like two minutes three minutes mm-hmm. right um and they didn't have that identity and then you know people have been bringing up like oh this was the akali akalione like you know dual assassin combo team like what happened to that team mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it was really interesting that both he and then contracts in a later interview, I believe with Desherto, but I cannot remember. And I feel really badly because I wish I could call the person out who did the contracts mm. interview, but if we find um, it, I can leave it in the YouTube description. Yeah. Yeah. I'll try to, I'll try to link it so you can. Um, but basically like he, he echoed something that Pal Fox told me on stage, which was we, feel like this kind of game if we can come back from this right mm-hmm. it showcases what we were missing last summer and then they've gone on this losing streak where in my opinion i'm not gonna say the games were decided in draft but there are two drafts there mm. that are very at least two drafts that i'm remembering they're very difficult to overcome one of them being today's um i did not like the last pick geez yeah last pick it was before it was, was, was death i believe it was already it just set up the scion so easily they were red side or another yeah shoot, i should have it wrong but they basically picked jace to pigeonhole themselves into a nearly all ad comp when the opponent still hadn't locked in their top laner and it just gave a perfect tank scion angle for solo yeah yeah so i think Obviously, I'm I'm not uh, going to come out here and say, like, the game was decided in draft, but I will come out and say those games were made a lot more difficult from the drafting, right? Yeah. And so I don't know if it's just because, oh my gosh, we drafted ourselves into a hole and now we feel like this is the pick. Um, I know we, I believe, did that draft and yeah. we were all calling for something like an Azir or or something that was a lot more stable. Right. And also AP. Um, But like I, that to me is like 
also very interesting in terms of what I think of these five players and my idea of their play style going into this year has continues to be subverted in that way. Um, and now I don't really know what kind of team they are. And I think mm. that's, that's a bit dangerous. And I'm not just talking about draft. I'm talking about play style as well. Yeah. I like that analysis though, because as you were talking, I just did a quick lookup of their most played champions in summer split 2022. And it's like, Yone was the most played for Dokla in the top lane at five, but it was like Yone, Gwen, Renekton, Jace. And mm-hmm. that's a style of Dokla is just going to play these things that he needs to play very aggressive with in the top lane. And Contracts' is most played is Poppy. Poppy's not in meta right now, but at the time, yeah. it was something that he could just go crazy on, slam people into walls, and try and snubble early game. Then you had Luger, 11 Zeri games, 10 Sivir games. Next most played is two for Seraphine and Callista. So he was, they were doing all this fancy stuff in the top lane and then Luger was going to be the hyper carry and that was the team's identity. Whereas now, six unique champions for Palafox in six games. Five unique champions for Dokla in six games. Five unique champions for Luger and Poom. They are just throwing champion darts at the board and seeing what lands bullseye, which does give a sense of optimism if they can find their actual style, this is not yeah. them forever. I actually really like that take from you. Um, and I think the the champion picks back it up. Sound uh, cool. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to mention before we wrap up for the night? Oh, uh, shout out to Golden Guardians. Uh, yeah. I've been watching their early games a lot, uh, specifically River Jungle Pathing and then Huhi Roaming um, because he is actually one of the few supports that has started roaming early um on uh on first back a lot uh also just coming up and as his ad is backing instead coming up river for a gank um specifically i'm sure people will remember the lulu gank um i think they spe- a lot of stuff in their early game was telling me that like this team is better than their record shows mm-hmm. and it sucks that they had to start oh and four i know uh jay was talking to you about this where you know he he was really honest like he's like it was yeah. a rough <laughs> it was a rough start like it's not been easy um and he said in that interview this is the first week that he felt like they actually had you know Gory was here. They had their full team. They were able to go through a full cycle of prep. And I thought it showed in in their games, right? Um, you can say that, you know, well, obviously they didn't have the toughest schedule this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they did have a tough schedule was in the first two weeks because yep. they had EG, C9, FlyQuest, and then TL. Um which does mean that their upcoming schedule is TSM, Dig, and then they, uh, 100 Thieves is what yep. they end with. So yep. obviously that's going to be a tough one. But I I am sad that this team started like they did and they weren't able to get Gorian in time and stuff. I think they are still better than, than what their records show. And... What I saw from them this week makes me really excited to see how the team can improve again now that they can just go through regular weeks of scrims and, and prep and stuff like that. 
Yeah. What What's interesting to me is actually if they are going to have a mid laner arrive late, it's kind of good that they played the best teams right away because they might have lost those games anyway. I was, I was kind of funny because I was actually thinking of this being like one of my takes that I asked you guys about on Waiting Room mm. with Golden Guardians. And it was like, is it better to like not have like, you know, if you're going to have a player missing, is it better to have it against possibly weaker teams in the league so you don't have to worry about as much for big matches? Or is it better to just be like, you know what, like, we have a tough schedule, whatever, uh-huh. like, this sucks. Uh, but the chances of losing anyway might have been higher. I don't know the answer. I don't know if players even think about that kind of thing. Um, but it's de- it's definitely kind of, like, an interesting question. So you fall on the side of, like, it's kind of better that they already, like, if it had to happen, it's kind of better that the their schedule was so front-loaded with, good teams yeah i think it will definitely depend on the team if Mm -hmm. this happened to i mean flyquest is an outlier but let's just say it happened to tl or something and they didn't have piosic at the start of the year so they played with um their their academy jungler that if there was like 50 because for them there's more games that they're like expected to win and they lose them there in Mm -hmm. case and then i think the second thing is the like pressures that exist externally for that team. Were there mm-hmm. high expectations in the first place? Is it management that tends to overreact to things or is it a calmer management team? Because who he in his interview said it was tough. Stixay said it sucked to be zero four, but ultimately they look freaking good this week. So no one on yeah. the team mental boomed because they lost those games. If you have more volatile players, then I think it's actually worse to play the good teams because they just lose by 15,000 golds and never recover. But for Golden Guardian specifically with Anero, who's been with the organization for four years, like there's a sense of stability and not panicking. Also, they don't have a huge history of winning, so there's not super high expectations. Um, and I think it's something they can recover from. So like they could actually go on a five-game win streak. Um, excited to see what, what that team does. All right. Week three in the books. Thank you very much, Emily, for joining me on JLXP. And hopefully I see everybody again soon. Time permitting, fingers crossed we get more done. Thanks for watching.